Hello, and welcome to the Learn Gray podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Schmidt. Welcome to the next episode of Learn Gray. Um, I'm your host, Jenny Schmidt. And today on the podcast, we have my friend and colleague, uh, Lisey Brown. And Lisey is with South Dakota State University, and she is the Extension Gerontology Field Specialist. And I'm going to have her explain what all those words mean here in a minute. But first, I just want to say welcome. Well, I appreciate the invitation to come visit with you today. <sighs> yeah, my title is incredibly long, but uh, I'll just start with what gerontology is. That's probably the best way to start. And gerontology is a um, field of science that focuses on the psychological, biological, and sociological aspects of how we as individual age individually and in the communities where we live. So what that means in extension is that I work with various stakeholders to bring evidence-based information about aging and older adults to our communities, to our stakeholders, so that as we're making decisions and we're planning for the future, we're using evidence-based information that's really going to help South Dakota flourish. Which is awesome. And I want to back up a little bit to like how we met. And it was kind of one of those things. I feel like a a few people told you, oh my gosh, you have to meet Jenny Schmidt. And a few people told me, oh my gosh, you really need to talk to Lisey Brown. And the first time I talked to you, we ended up on the phone together one night for like two hours while you looked at my website with your... Cataract simulators. (laughs) And it was fantastic. And I was like, this girl is going to be my soul sister forever because we can bond and talk about all things aging, which clearly we are both very passionate about. So um, tell tell me a little bit about your passion with the aging population and where did that come from? Um, Serendipity is really the truth of the answer of how I got here. You know, um, I am originally from Florida. I was studying sociology at a community college there, and I had finished. And I arrived at a point where I knew I needed more education, but I wasn't really thrilled about going to college and getting a bunch of student loans. So I decided to join the Air Force. Well, fast forward to my when I'm exiting the Air Force and I want to go back to college, I'm planning my degree plan, and my advisor's like, well, I think you should get a concentration in gerontology. And I'm going to be completely honest here. I I wasn't thrilled. I was like, I don't want to work with old people. And she's like, no, it, aging is nothing like what you realize. It's completely different. So here we are now in 2022. And I have been working in the gerontology field for the past 12 years. My first I two years, I claim, because, you know, you're working when you're going to college. Um, but I got a master's of science in gerontology because I, I just realized that that field was where it was at, that that field was the future. And I couldn't be more thrilled with the serendipity of picking gerontology and then loving it. You are so passionate about what you do, and you make me excited um, to work with an aging population. And, you know, sometimes I I am not afraid to admit that when I need a boost. And when I need to be re-energized, like you're the person that does that for me, like, because you, 
you, you know, I, I stay in my lane with kind of what I do with, you know, case management, healthcare navigation, guardianship, conservatorship, but you have your fingers in 27 other aspects <laughs> of aging. Um, and you really stretch me in ways that I appreciate. And so, um, you know, I think that when I think about SDSU extension, the thing I, the thing I always thought of was like 4-H, right? Yeah. And so tell me about like the extension work that you do through the university and how that impacts the community. Thank you. That is a big question. As you said, my I'm involved with a lot of different projects. Um, I think two projects that would really illustrate the reach of SDSU Extension and what we're trying to accomplish would be the South Dakota Falls Prevention Coalition and the Voices for Home Mod project. Um, Jenny, you're aware you get to play in the sandbox where there are a lot of the challenges. You see the challenges that happen do, as yep. we get older. That's that's where you you get to live. And I know you see those falls and you you see how detrimental a single fall can be to an older adult. I tell people all the time, I say, especially when I go do initial home visits and home consultations and I see, OK, like I see um, inaccessibility um, bathrooms with no, um, grab bars, nothing to really hang on to. There's 20 throw rugs everywhere. Um, clutter everywhere. And I, I tell people, I say, listen, at a certain point, the name of the game is not falling down. Like that has to be our number one goal uh, is not to fall down because when people fall down, it can actually be a life ender. It is absolutely. Um, because you can fall down. And let's say a common thing that happens with elderly people is breaking a hip or some other leg bone. TBI. Hitting your head. Yeah. And those things can result in a nursing home stay. Um, and it's a possible sacrifice of complete mobility. It really is. And that's why this coalition is together. Um, we've got representatives from over 30 organizations. And really what we're trying to do is ensure that South Dakotans, you know, our healthcare providers, any organization that's really working in that healthcare space is aware of falls. They're implementing evidence-based falls prevention programs or um, interventions or programs. So for example, there is a CDC tool called Steady. It's Stop uh, to, to stop elderly falls or something. I don't remember the abbreviation, but it's S-T-E-D-I. That is an evidence-based assessment tool that can help identify where is the fall risk coming from. Because fall risk could be related to medications. It could be related mm-hmm. to poor foot care. 100%. It could be related to depression. You know, it could be related to so many different things. Body weakness. Body weakness is actually one of the leading predictors of falling. Um, having weak lower body particularly. So that assessment tool, that steady assessment tool, allows healthcare providers to really hone in on what risk factor needs to be addressed for this individual. Because not falls are not all created equally for among older adults. They're, they have different causes, different interventions once they happen. So the Falls Coalition is out there trying to get evidence-based interventions out there. You know, Fit and Strong is a fall prevention program that SDSU Extension is trying to expand in the state. Uh, This is an exercise program for people with osteoarthritis. Oh, that's great. And what's so great about it, it helps build their lower body strength, which helps reduce their risk of falling. Um, Our participants 
Um, they love the program. I was actually on a call yesterday and somebody was talking about ch our Chamberlain implementation site and how popular the program is and how it just keeps the class keeps filling mm -hmm. up, you know, and that's truly, I mean, there's so many factors. So that's what the fall prevention coalition is doing. And just so everybody knows, I'm going to link, um, all of these great resources in the show notes today. So don't feel like you have to scramble to write these things down as we're talking about them. I'll make sure that you have Lisey's full contact information as well as links to everything that we're talking about today in the sh in the show notes so that you have those in front of you. Well, the good news is the um, Fall Prevention Coalition is easy to find the website. If you Google South Dakota State Trauma System, you'll go to their page and you'll see the icon for the South Dakota Fall Prevention Coalition because the Department of Health is one of our partners that helps support the website. So. Which is so cool. And, you know, even, even two years ago, I, I was going to say 10, but honestly, even two years ago, we were not at all talking about fall prevention in the home. We were tracking it in facilities and assisted living and mm -hmm. skilled nursing centers and in hospitals, but nobody was talking about fall prevention at home. So this is super exciting. Absolutely. And I think that it's, um, it's the way that we we help people age well. Absolutely. And tell me what aging well means to you. You know, aging well is having the capacity to live my life how I choose at when I reach older age. You know, the, the sad truth is we're all going to face chronic illness. That is just the state of our society, the state of our health in the society. We're all going to face chronic illness. But, you know, I want to have the freedom and independence to still, you know, live in my home, you know, have my garden, do the things that I love, do the things that are meaningful to me. And ultimately, I mean, I'll talk about the positive um, theory. There's a theory called gyrotranscendence. Sorry, it's a fancy word. Gyrotranscendence, yeah. everyone. Listen yeah. to that. Gyrotranscendence. Like, this is going to be your word for the day. You're going to be... You're going to go out in the world after this podcast and you're going to say, listen, today I learned what Jero transcendence is. And yes. let me share it with you. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Educate us. So Jero transcendence really refers to those positive mental and emotional changes that happen in our brain over time, especially as we get older. Younger people can have a type of transcendence, say if they're facing chronic disease, end of life. But I maintain that it's different. When a person has 70 years of memories in their head, that's a different type of transcendence than, say, someone who's younger and is facing end of life. Their transcendence may be more related to what they won't get to do. Oh, there's a difference, mm -hmm. you know, so when we process that, you know, we, we have to process our life. I mean, another way to think of it is a development towards wisdom. It's another way to think of it. It's wisdom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's different signs. There's 15 total different signs. I won't tell them all to you, but I think I can give you a couple of examples that you say, yeah, I've seen that interest in genealogy. That is kind mm -hmm. of a sign of that Jero transcendence, because as we become more transcendent, we become more connected to our ancestors and their descendants. We feel like this universal connection to them, mm -hmm. you know. Another change that happens in the mind is when we're younger, time is linear. The past is behind us, the future's forward. Mm -hmm. As we become transcendent, time seems to coexist simultaneously. And I, I have to compare it to dementia, to dementia, but I want you to understand these are different. 
But dementia, if you've worked with people with dementia, sometimes yeah. it's like they're in a completely different time. 100%. And you have to adjust. You have to adjust. Mm-hmm. So healthy adults do that as well, you know. And it's part of that mental processing to process the things that we go through, the decisions we made, the people we hurt. We lived a life that's full of things we're proud of and full of things we're not proud of. So, you know, time kind of shifts and how we perceive it, you know, everyday wisdom. So when we're younger, we're almost certain there's a right and there's a wrong answer. Right. Certain. Black and white. Black and white. Everything. There's yep. just a right. There's a wrong way yep. to do everything. But as we transcend, we recognize there's a lot more gray. And the podcast is called Learn Gray. Learn Gray. For a reason. Yep. There's <laughs> a lot more gray in the world than we realized at younger ages. And we may find that we're less, we're more reluctant to just give advice or try to help people make decisions because, you know, there really mm-hmm. isn't always a clear right decision you know? yes so there's so many different signs um if you're interested we are w- working on building workshops around these contents so that we can increase you know the older adults knowledge about this theory so that they can help understand their own aging mm-hmm. um because i think once we realize because too often this world tells us there's nothing good about getting older Right. But I think once re- older adults learn that their brain can, in fact, get better, that the potential to reach it is greater. Exactly. Because you, know, you know it's possible. You can only achieve what you know is possible. 100%. And, you know, we never talked about, you know, these things were never talked about and certainly never studied. And we never worked with aging populations mm-hmm. about um, these concepts or um, really fostered the concept of aging well. Absolutely. So this is exciting. And I'm, I'm actually excited to age in, in this space and this space of time, because I think that there are ways um, to do it well. You mm-hmm. know, so many times we hear, I hear all the time, there's nothing golden about the golden years, yeah. you know? And I think, but wait a minute, like there, there are actually golden things about the golden years because like, look who you've become through your life and your life experiences. And, you know, the incredible pride that lots of people have in their families and kids and grandkids and the richness of the experiences that they've had. So learning about neurotranscendence is one way to move there. You know, Molly Barari, I know you've mentioned you want to interview her as well. Tell us about Molly Barari and the work that you two are doing together. Absolutely. So Molly Barari is a South Dakota humanities scholar. Um, she is a, a writer. I mean, she's a creative mm-hmm. writer. And she has been facilitating writing workshops, life story writing workshops for um, targeting older adults for several years now. It may be five. She's been doing this for a while. And in during COVID, I, or early COVID, I reached out to Molly to see about doing these live story writing workshops on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And we offer three different types. One is a general just writing your life story. The Another one is writing your obituary. And then there's a third one about genealogy writing. And amazingly, the obituary writing workshop is exceptionally popular. Um, what Molly and I want to do in 23 is offer it multiple times during April, because, you know, death and taxes. So we offer the obituary writing <laughs> workshop. Oh, my in gosh. In That's April. awesome. 
So it goes in me. So we do that. But it was they're really popular, so we want to offer that one more often. But in 22, we added another dimension to the workshops, and that was using gerotranscendence because writing is one way to help facilitate that gerotranscendent process, particularly so much of gerotranscendence is processing your life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I, this is worth mentioning. I didn't mention this when I kind of got a little bit lost when I was telling you who the author was. Um, but there's this concept po- called positive solitude. This is not the same yes. as loneliness. Mm-hmm. Loneliness is when a person reports that they feel alone. Positive solitude is this time that elders take to be alone and process their life. Um, the sad news is our approach to caring for elders entails us being pushy with these elders and insisting they go engage with other people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, where that may not be healthy for these elders. It doesn't fit everyone, you know, like I'm a, I'm an extrovert and other people maybe like you (laughs) are introverts. And I think one of the important things is realizing that, that just because someone ages, I think that they're, I think they get grayed out, right? And we don't, we don't, um, we assume they're all the same. We assume they're all the same and we don't treat people as individuals anymore. Yep. We sort of group them. Yep. And I think it's important to recognize who an individual is, whether they're an extrovert or an introvert, and what recharges them. Because yep. I'm recharged by people talking it out, you know, mm-hmm. where an introvert, isn't like your process is different, right? You need to retreat in order to recharge Mm -hmm. and to have that alone time is really important. Retreat and recharge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think we forget that a lot of our facilities are not familiar with the theory of gerotranscendence. So they're not using that theory. They're using Erickson's theory, which Mm -hmm. Erickson's theory, I'm, I'm not digging on his theory. His theory was wonderful, but his theory Gerotranscendence goes a step further. I've got, Greg's got the book on order for me. Actually, it should have been here this week, but the, um, Erickson's wife wrote a final book about a, a ninth stage that he didn't have. And for those who may not be familiar with Eric Erickson, every stage of life has like two things they have to come to terms with. And forgive me, I'm not an expert. I can't tell you every stage and the two things that they have to figure out. And if they figure out the wrong one, they don't move forward. If they figure out the right one, they do move forward. I mean, that's kind of what his theory Mm -hmm. is. But he had eight stages. He added nine once he finally experienced it. Oh. Once he experienced it, then his wife wrote the chapter. But Dr. Tornstein is the one who initially um, came up with the theory. So a lot of our providers are not even familiar with this concept of positive adult development. They view aging through the pathology lens, or they compare aging to midlife ideals and goals. I mean, we're not the same people as older people as we were in our midlife. Our priorities are what's important to us changes. Yes. And I think giving a voice to that is super, super important. So the work that you and Molly do together really is, I mean, it's storytelling, right? So it's storytelling um, through these kind of different perspectives. Reminiscence is another word for it. Reminiscence. Reminiscence. So tell me what you've learned about the value to the aging person by telling their story. I think so often we don't have the opportunity to express ourselves mm-hmm. throughout our life. I think we experience that. Sometimes I think when we're younger in the working world, we, we experience it a little bit more because we have to, you know, stay in our lane and not mm-hmm. say exactly what we think. 
Um, but I think it just getting it out, having that opportunity just to tell that story, even if it's only for themselves, because some people will do that. They will write it and then burn it mm-hmm. just because they needed to write it. And it, it's healing. It, it gives us the time, the ability to process our life reflect on our life, see the good, see the beautiful things that happened. And it it's therapeutic. It's healing. It can help um, bring people peace with mm-hmm. end of life. Because, I mean, end of life is hard to face. And that is another sign of Jero transcendence is this acceptance, like oh, not being afraid mm-hmm. of death. You know, yeah. they might be afraid of the process hurting, like the death process hurting, because we're all going to experience a right. terminal drop. You know, that's going to happen to all of us. So they might be afraid of the pain of dying, but death itself is no longer a fear. You know, I had um, Trish Kirsch from Stillwater Hospice on a couple weeks ago. And, you know, her quote, which I thought was just incredible, was life is beautiful and death is beautiful. And that it's a process that we're all going to go through and that it doesn't have to be scary and, you know, we can manage pain and um, that choosing to like involve programs like hospice um, really help you have a what's what I term a good death, you know, that that the goodbye to this world can Mm -hmm. be as beautiful as your entrance into it. I agree. And palliative care is another important underutilized service you oh, know it, let's explain palliative yeah care. Can you explain palliative care what's the difference between palliative care and hospice care and just general health care curative curative care yeah. you know so jenny said it there's curative care there's palliative care and then there's hospice care so generally curative care is about making you better you know that's where they're going to fix your bones. They're going to, you know, do organ transplants. They're going to try manage to make your it better. Cholesterol, manage your cholesterol. Manage your blood sugar. Yeah, they're going, to, they're, they're going to make you better. Palliative care is a type of care that can happen with curative care and it can happen with hospice care. Palliative care is really kind of a companion service where we focus on keeping the patient comfortable. We focus on ensuring that the values and goals of the patient are understood by medical providers so that, you know, say, if one of the curative options is being offered to the person that entails, you know, significant pain, that the patient understands the level of pain they're going to go through. Because often stopping treatment is harder than beginning it. If you Mm -hmm. have to stop it after you've already started, it's a lot harder. So what that palliative care team can do is really help a person who's receiving curative treatment to know, is this treatment right for me? Mm -hmm. You know, do the pros outweigh the cons? Because that's what a lot of people, doctors are not always good at weighing out the pros and cons. A doctor wants to cure you. Absolutely. You know, so they're not always good about weighing out the pros Mm -hmm. and cons of chemotherapy or these other really intense medical treatments that um, you'll be asked if you want to go through, you know, frankly. Absolutely. And then hospice care generally is about end of life. It is about mm-hmm. managing the any pain, any any um, bad symptoms, um, the emotional symptoms, the depression. You know, they'll manage mm-hmm. that stuff. Try to keep the person, you know, mentally and emotionally stable. 
but really let nature work its course. Absolutely. You know, it's it, a natural process. Yes. You know, um, and that includes a team of people who provide mental and emotional support to not only the person who is in the dying process, but to their family. Yeah. So there's going to be a chaplain involved. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a social worker involved. There's going to be a lot of different people on that team to really care for that family during this transition. Yeah. Which is, can be a really beautiful process. It can be. I want to switch gears for a second because our our time always goes so fast. Um, but I really want to talk about something that I know you are super passionate about, which is accessibility and universal design. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think Lisi and I can have a conversation without going here. Yep. And so I want you to talk about your work in this area. First of all, tell everybody what it is mm-hmm. and, why. <laughs> and why it's important. So... What we know about aging is that it's largely in the environment that really influences our outcomes. If we live in an appropriate environment that really takes into account our needs as we get older, or our outcomes will be better. The sad truth is most of the residential homes, apartments, everything has been constructed in a way that is not conducive to aging. So they've got a lot of stairs. They've got narrow halls. They're split foyer. They've got sunken living rooms. They've got all these weird steps and weird shapes and everything in these Angled. houses. Angled. Angled. Yeah. Just, it just, it, the long story short of it is our housing stop, stock is in bad shape, you know. And so many people are like, I want to age in place. I want to age in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to define universal design and accessibility real quick, explain the difference between those two. So universal design is a process of thinking where you think about every single person who would interact with a space. So you're thinking about the person who's seven foot tall. You're thinking about the children. You're thinking about the wheelchair user, everybody. That's a really complicated process. It's hard to do. Accessibility is really about people with disabilities and making the spaces work for them. It does not take into account the how the shorter counter might have an adverse effect for the person who's over six foot. Mm-hmm. So that's accessible design and that's universal design. Universal design truly is the gold standard, you know, if mm-hmm. we can get there. But that is that's a, a long process down the road. So and I want to just I have to interject something here. So and, you know, we're talking about these things in terms of aging. But you guys, I am not a senior citizen and we just recently got renovated a house and in the living room when we bought the house was two different elevations, which now that is one elevation. Um, we, we redid like the walk-in shower. That walk-in shower is easily modified now to become a roll-in shower. And we put all the backer board. We put the, we put the backer board everywhere in case we needed in case read when we need to put a grab bar because honestly what if i have a knee replacement in 5 years what if one of us has some other orthopedic um situation that requires seated showering um so it's not just for aging people i would encourage everyone no matter what age you are if you're doing home modifications of any kind, think about it from you in 10 years, you in five years, you with a knee replacement, you with a broken hip. Um, And some of those things are really easy to do. If you have a wall open, why not put the backer board in there so that you can easily screw in grab bars at the point that you need them? Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you 
emphasize this is a multi-generational benefits because it also benefits in-home care providers. It benefits emergency service providers. You know, it's huge. So for those of you who might be interested in how you might be able to get a home that's more appropriate, what SCSU is really trying to push forward to help simplify the conversation is something called adaptable home certification. It focuses on four features. It's the entrance. So ideally, we want a no-step or an adaptable entrance. And what we're talking about here with an adaptable entrance is minimizing that rise above grade. Because for every inch of rise above grade, that's a foot of ramp. So if you have 30 inches of rise, that's a 30-foot ramp plus all the landings that you have to put in to construct that ramp. Extremely expensive. But if we minimize that grade, the ramp is smaller. The other thing is having a bathroom that's spaced appropriately for wheelchair users. Having a bedroom on the entry level that someone could sleep in. And the last one is wide halls and doors. It's really simple. Those four features can really change the face of housing stock in this state because once you have the bones, the structure, because that's what's really expensive to modify. If you've got a small bathroom and you got to start ripping out walls to make it bigger. Absolutely. That's where it gets really expensive. Yes. But that adaptable home stuff, it's online. It's free to use. Anybody who wants to talk to a real estate agent, a builder, you can take mm-hmm. a rat card. Just visit the website, or, um, request them, and I'll mail them to you. And you can... Um, show this rat card to those real estate professionals, those building professionals. So you can say, this is what I want. Yeah. And this, this really also has to do with equity. It has to do with equity and housing big time. Uh, I actually have a really interesting story around that. So I won't identify who this person is, but I can tell you they're, they're kind of important. And I have known him since I've worked for extension and he reads my articles that come out in the green sheet. I get picked up by the green sheet pretty good. Once again, all of this (laughs) available in the show notes. (laughs) And um, I saw him yesterday and he let me know that him and his wife are building a house for aging in place. And it was because of everything he learned from me. Um, And, you know, I'm like, hey, you should be a testimonial for the Voices for Home Modification Project. And his reservation is his wealth. He has the means to build that house. Mm -hmm. And he knows most people don't. And that is a genuine challenge. Um. And that's why we have the Voices for Home Mod Project. I'll be brief with that one. So really, it's pulling together stakeholders who care about the architectural design of housing because it affects them. 100%. You know, so we've got architects, we've got interior designers, we've got occupational therapists, we got healthcare providers, um, we've got entrepreneurs. And the, I mean, the number of people who are engaged in this project are huge. And the ultimate goal is to create a toolkit. Toolkit will include educational materials, testimonials, so stories from people here in South Dakota who are going through this or who successfully done it. Yes. You know, and then we also want to have a list of providers, a database of providers, so that when people are looking for these modifications, they know who to call. The final thing we're going to try to get together are refunding options, but the truth is we're going to need to get some grants into the state Absolutely. to support it because that's 100%. the only way it's going to get done. The people who need it can't afford it. That's so great. You know, I, occupational therapist yeah. I spoke mm-hmm. to yesterday yes. said 70% of her clients can't afford the recommendation she makes. Absolutely. You know, I think about the little lady who's living in the mobile home um, with, you know, stairs that go up to the narrow doorway, narrow hallways, all of it. And like, how do we, how do we support these people? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, one thing that I worry about, and I know you do too, like literally I, it keeps me up at night. Like what we are not going to be able to build enough assisted living or skilled nursing facilities to support the aging population. The numbers, they don't match. We have 10,000 baby boomers that turn 65 every single day. Well, not only do they not match, 
these facilities are many of them are operating on a shoestring budget. If they're supported Absolutely. by Medicaid, yes. they are operating on a shoestring budget. Yep. It's just not a sustainable approach to caring for elders. And it's not what it's not what's best for elders in no. the first place. Oh, and I know I don't want that. I mean, I, I can't, and if I want to point out the way I talk about aging, and I hope that others will hear it and maybe th- think about changing. As we get older, as I get older, as I get older. Yep, as we get older, mm-hmm. we're more likely to develop a chronic disease. Yes. You know, so we as yeah, or I, you know, talking mm-hmm. about myself, because yes. all of these solutions that we're trying to implement for senior citizens, they're ultimately solutions for ourselves. We're steaming ahead. <laughs> I'm like, if Absolutely. you don't want to live in a nursing home, don't advocate for nursing homes. Advocate for housing where you can live once you need nursing home care. Hundred percent. You know. Oh my gosh, Lisey, we have scratched the surface. I have twenty <laughs> other things on the list I want to talk to you about, and we are out. Of time. That's all right. Will you I, come back? Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's call this Lisey Brown Volume One because she's <laughs> definitely coming back um, as a guest on the podcast. And like I said, I'll link everything in the show notes along with Lisey's contact information so that you can get in touch with her. She's incredibly accessible and approachable, which I also appreciate about you greatly. You're always willing to um, help where needed and share your knowledge and expertise. And I love it that you're, you're, you never gatekeep with anything. You are, you're just like an open book and we need more people like you in the world, especially in this space. In this space we do. I mean, we're all in this together. The only way that we will age well as a state is if we work together. The only way is together. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much, Lisey. And um, thank you, everybody, for being here today. And um, I will see you next time. Thanks for joining me on Learn Gray. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button.